Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. We interrupt this podcast to bring you a special report. Friends, this is Mick Sullivan, and I hope you're sitting down. If not, I hope you're standing up. If for some strange reason you're just in between... Please pick one or the other before you listen to this important information. This is not news to hear while being neither up nor down. It's going to take a while, and your legs will probably get tired. Until very recently, it was believed that only one remaining specimen of the Kentucky meat shower was accounted for. This potential specimen has been in a library on campus of Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky. But, and this is the big news, recently, another verifiable specimen has been made public. Did you hear that? A new specimen of meat from the 1876 Kentucky meat shower. New meat! The man who has come forward with the meat is none other than Frank W. Reiser, Professor Emeritus of Biology at Nassau Community College on Long Island, which is east of New York City. There I am. (laughs) And there he is. That's Frank. We'll be back with you in just a few moments, Frank. First, if you're just tuning in and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the Kentucky meat shower, well, that's reasonable. It's a weird thing that happened, and it's not in most history books. I ran an episode of The Past and the Curious about it in 2019 to coincide with the picture book I had published on the same subject that same year, which is still available. I'll be including that full original segment after this special report if you want to know what on earth I'm talking about. Or maybe those who've already heard it would like to take a little stroll down memory lane. But just so you have some context, here's the basics. In Bath County, Kentucky, in 1876, pieces of meat mysteriously started falling from the sky, landing on a patch of farmland that belonged to the Crouch family. Everyone was perplexed. What possible explanation could there be for such an unusual happening? Newspapers sent reporters, and it was soon a national story. However, science in the 1800s struggled to determine conclusively 
what had happened. But scientists sure tried, and they learned more than we previously thought. Which leads us to Frank Reiser, a man with a passion for microscopes. Well, I got into it because, uh, well, really, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by tiny things and pestered my parents until they bought me a microscope. It, uh, it's captivating for a child. I, uh, we didn't have a television. So the uh, the microscope and other things like that were, were really uh, important entertainment items. Frank loves microscopes still today and has spent his life using them. And as a college educator, teaching others to use microscopes. Frank is also an avid collector of antique slides, biological and scientific specimens mounted on glass for scientists of prior centuries to share and look at through their microscopes. It's kind of uh, an obscure hobby, but that's good in a way because there's so much to be found that other people haven't already grabbed up uh, that uh, I'm overloaded, really. I have uh, tons of stories to tell from my collection and I just can't get to them because it takes so long to get them up online. Years ago, Frank came into possession of a very unusual microscopic slide. The slide in question, the subject of this episode. And he found it, where else, but on the online auction site, eBay. The slide was on eBay and it was advertised as the Kentucky meteor shower, which makes sense. I mean, meteor showers happen and you collect the meteors and they're valuable. People want those. Uh, They're highly desirable. But before making the purchase, Frank wanted to know more about this meteor shower in Kentucky from 1876, so he started doing some research for details of when and where it might be from. As you might have guessed, it wasn't from a meteor shower at all. And what comes up on Google but the Kentucky meat shower. (laughs) And what it says on the slide is Kentucky meat shower. But that was just too incredible. (laughs) So they assumed, the person who made the advertisement and put it on eBay, assumed that meat was an abbreviation or short for meteor. Now, this was, of course, a reasonable assumption on the part of the person selling this slide on eBay. Who would know that the meat shower was a thing? I mean, you know. I know. But not everybody knows. So Frank placed a bid on the little glass rectangle with a round reddish specimen in the center. If you know anything about eBay, you know there are usually other people bidding to purchase as well. It's an auction site, and the person with the highest bid, when time runs out, wins the right to purchase. And Frank was not the only person who realized that the red spot on this slide wasn't part of a space rock. There is another slide collector uh, in Kentucky, at the University of Kentucky. I didn't know it, but he also wanted the slide. Oh, no. Uh, So it came up for bidding at auction, and he, and it's a riot, it's very funny to me, uh, because I've always been in education. Uh, we're, we're both college teachers. And he's at the University of Kentucky. And we always are annoyed when we're interrupted in having to attend faculty meetings. <laughs> they're so incredibly boring. 
So that's what happened to him. He missed the bid. He had to go to a faculty meeting. <laughs> when he came out, it was over, and I had to slide. Victory was Frank's, thanks to an unfortunate staff meeting. But anyone can win an auction on eBay. As fate would have it, though, the meat slide was in good hands. Because not everyone has the depth of knowledge and passion for research that Frank has. There are some interesting things about science in the 1800s when this slide was mounted, which is the term for placing a specimen onto the little rectangle of glass, the slide, so that it can be used with a microscope. One thing to note is that there were many citizen scientists and dedicated hobbyists in the field. For many, science was a social thing. There were clubs and societies and also home enthusiasts. But between the United States, France, and England, those are primarily the three countries uh, during what is called the golden age of natural history, where there were a tremendous number of lay people who did it as a hobby, uh, bird watching, collecting, having a cabinet of curiosities. Uh, and then, of course, that dovetailed with uh, their evening entertainment of, of visiting each other and having parlor, parlor conversation uh, at a period before television or radio. If you wanted to do something that uh, involved other people, you would either invite them to your house or go there or join, join one of the lecture societies or uh, clubs like the microscopical societies, which... Every city had one. Along with passionate amateurs, there were plenty of other professional scientists and educators involved in this story. And here's another thing to remember. Information was hard to come by in the 1800s. So things were shared. Things like microscopic slides were passed around, sent from homes to offices to scientific societies to schools and on to other homes, making the rounds for the scientifically curious. And scientists keep really good records. As someone spent time with a specimen, it was important that they wrote down and shared their observations. They wrote down their opinions and their disputes about any given subject. Lots of notes were taken. And today, thanks to archives and ongoing digitization projects, much of those old documents and letters and journals, everything else, they're available to read if you know where to look. And Frank Reiser knows exactly where to look. Over time, he found that there was a clear trail of people who, at one time or another, came into direct contact and made notes about this very slide that he bought on eBay, or else one of the other Kentucky Meat Shower slides that were passed around. Sharing what you were doing was very important to you in self-identity and to give you a social uh, evening out with colleagues that you respected. So the meet, these meetings were all recorded and journalized. So if you can find the right meeting and uh, the right page, you can you 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 practically right there. So it's it's through these conversations that were published that you can start to work out who did what at what time to what advantage, who was first, who came second, and how it all integrated to give the the flowchart that I put together, I think of 23 people yeah. that had some time had possession 
of pieces of meat that yeah. fell on the Crouch farm. You can obviously hear me getting excited in the interview. It's fascinating. It's so great to learn about the general practice of scientists at the time. But all of this left me with two questions. The first is, did these scientists take the Kentucky meat shower seriously? It was taken very seriously. And the reason it was is during the 19th century, that's when we had the very beginning of the development of the scientific method. In the scientific method, scientists of all types and places use the same basic approach to find answers that are logical and supported by evidence. And clearly, a whole bunch of scientists spent plenty of time and energy focused on this slide. At first, many hypothesized that it was not meat at all, and a few actually dug in their heels on that point. It was an extraordinary event, and hard to explain otherwise, which is probably why over a century later the slide was labeled meteor shower and not meat shower. But science is about observation and revision. And as Frank likes to say, when it's done right, it is self-correcting. So after many rounds of hypothesis, observation, and reporting, the evidence was indisputable. The consensus clearly is that it is meat. Yes. And it was from different organs. It was yes, lung and, and, and trachea, connective tissue, muscle, uh, various slides that had been made from this material uh, turned out to histologically be uh, animal tissue. Identifying Frank's slide was no problem. The The slide that you have is is lung, correct? Lung, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you were able to tell that. Oh, yes. Very early on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy you know what lung looks like yeah if you do <laughs> <laughs> but the question that's not easy to answer is still where did the meat come from yeah i i i i have to go up with the uh vultures yeah the vulture scenario i'm team vulture uh, too yeah uh vultures have a very large crop uh, and they feel vulnerable when they're feeding on the ground. So they stuff all the food down their throat they possibly can as quickly as they can and hold it in the crop, then go soar back and forth for the next few hours trying to digest it. So that's about the only place I could think there would be enough meat to cover the area that it did. I think Mrs. Uh, Rebecca Crouch said a half a bushel. Uh, now, <laughs> one vulture can only hold a fistful of meat, so you do need a flock. Yeah. And and that's the really puzzling part. Could all of them have thrown up at the same time, exactly the same time? Well, she said the rain came down only for about two minutes, so it was at the same time. So that's a lot all at once. Now, vultures do circle, mm -hmm. but their circles way up there in the sky are a lot bigger than Crouch's backyard. So it should have been scattered much, much further if it was a group of vultures simultaneously barfing. Uh, so if this half bushel could not come out of one bird, couldn't have come out of 10 birds, only a fistful fits in a crop. So it's a mystery. It's a puzzle. And will it ever be solved? 
only if it's exactly duplicated <laughs> as it was then, and people are watching. Right. Fingers their cell crossed, phones, I'm not near their it. Cell phones are out. Yeah. <laughs> so where does this leave us? A little closer to the answer of the strange Kentucky meat shower of 1876? Maybe, but we're still so very far away. But as we've said before, maybe the best part of the mystery is that it's still a mystery for us today. It probably wouldn't be as much fun if we had all of the answers. Of course, there's no, there's no fun without the unsolved mystery. <laughs> That's what we, we people go out looking for mysteries. That's right. <laughs> Humans are the only animal that seems to like to scare itself. And as for science and our human appetite for knowledge, well, those depend on mystery, too. Without that wonder, science would stop. There's no place to go. So keep wondering, friends. Keep looking around, and maybe with the help of the scientific method, you'll solve the next mystery. There will always be one after that. Though, as far as we know... This is the only meat shower mystery. So maybe don't rush to solve this one too quickly because part of me prefers to keep wondering about it. And if you're still confused about the actual event itself, stick around after the break for a rebroadcast of the original story from 2019 that coincided with the release of my picture book, The Meat Shower, the mostly true tale of an odd and somewhat edible occurrence, which is still available if you want to buy it. You can find it on my website at thepastandthecurious.com. Another website that you absolutely should check out is Frank Reiser's website. It's antiqueslides.net. It is amazing. The, the section on the meat shower is so comprehensive, so detailed, as you might have gathered from Frank's incredible work. But there's so much more cool stuff on the website, too. Anyone with an interest in science, the 1800s, Really, it runs the gamut. It's amazing. you got to check it out. Antiqueslides.net. I will put it up on the website. I have to thank Frank for his time, his research, his sense of humor, his pleasant demeanor. I had so much fun talking. We talked for like 50 minutes. It was so great. Um, I've I've replayed it in my head many times. Anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, After the break... You can enjoy the original broadcast. Thank you all very much. My name is Mick Sullivan, and this is The Past and the Curious. Hello, grown-ups. Do you need food? I need food. Do you like food? I like food. Yeah, we're all like that. Well, eating better is easy with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have 35 different options to choose from each week. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. The two-minute meals are easy, so fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. It's flexible for your schedule, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week, and you can reschedule whenever you need to. Sign up and save. The math checks out. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. My wife and I have really been enjoying them. Actually, I think today I'm going to have some salmon, salmon piccata. I'm looking forward to it. 
So head to factormeals.com slash curiouskids50 and use code curiouskids50 to get 50% off. That's code curiouskids50 at factormeals.com slash curiouskids50 to get 50% off. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust? You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com lifestyle, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com lifestyle to take your retail business to the next level today. So it's kind of an unusual episode. There's not going to be a quiz time with this episode. However, I had to do a You Have 30 Seconds because May sent in a You Have 30 Seconds about the Boston Molasses Flood, which is featured on one page of my book, The Meat Shower. So take it away, May. Hi, I'm May, and I'm going to tell you about the Great Molasses Flood. In January 1919, a huge tank of molasses exploded, and over 2 million gallons covered Boston. It destroyed everything in its path. Eventually, all the molasses went into the harbor, but for decades after, you could still smell molasses on hot days. Thank you, May. Great job. I love that story, as you might have guessed. And uh, speaking of Boston, I'm going to be back in the Boston area at the Kids Podcast Festival that WBUR does. It's going to be Saturday, April 20th. You heard it here first, people. Tickets aren't on sale yet, but they'll be on sale soon, and I will tell you more about it, but uh, just wanted to let you know. May, you did a great job. Thank you for featuring that story in Boston, and if anyone else out there has a You Have 30 Seconds, it's very simple. You just record it with a device like a phone or an iPad or anything else that will record, and uh, you can email it to me at hello, thepastandthecurious.com. Thank you. Okay, you ready? We're going to take it back to 2019. This is the original version of the meat shower from back then, 2019. It was a simpler time, wasn't it? But nonetheless, the meat shower was still a mystery. I hope you enjoy and remember that I made it in 2019. Our story begins in a small library museum in Lexington, Kentucky, a town which was founded in 1775 and has been home not just to Henry Clay and Mary Todd, who married and buried a man named Abraham Lincoln, but also to actor George Clooney and chess grandmaster Gregor Kadanov. In the years since its founding, the city has developed a fascination with basketball and racehorses, and it is also home to Transylvania University, which, no, is not where Dracula attended his undergrad. It was the first university in the state of Kentucky, and contained in the collection at the university's museums are several unusual items, many of which were used to educate early medical students. There are skeletons, there are models of medical abnormalities, but also rolling around the place is what is believed to be the largest hairball in the world. 
a gigantic 14-inch dense furry ball that was found in the stomach of a buffalo. This bezoar was given to the school by Mary Todd Lincoln's little brother, and of course, Harry Potter fans might recognize that word, bezoar. This is another name for hairballs such as this. These strange formations from the stomachs of animals were at one time believed to be an antidote to poison. But as strange as this hairball might seem, it is not the strangest thing here. That honor is reserved for a small jar containing a very old, very plain piece of meat. It might not strike you as strange upon first sight, but when you learn its origin, or rather, mysterious lack of a clear origin, well, you'll find the most unusual story this side of the Ohio River. You see, the story goes like this. On March 3rd of 1876, this very piece of meat fell from the sky above. And it wasn't alone. It fell like a squishy, sinewy snow. Or perhaps a medium-rare rain surrounded by countless other pieces of meaty flakes and chewy chunks. Undoubtedly, you realize this is not something meat typically does, and we'd argue further that this is not something meat should ever do. But the evidence that day indicates that, well, it did. Meat fell from the sky, and naturally your questions are how and why. Well, dude, we just don't know. Here is part of an actual quote from the New York Times recounting the event. Newsflash! On last Friday, a shower of meat fell near the house of Alan Crouch, covering a strip of ground about 100 yards in length and 50 yards wide. Mrs. Crouch was out in the yard at the time, engaged in making soap, when meat which looked like beef began to fall around her. The sky was perfectly clear at the time, and she said it fell like large snowflakes. One piece fell near her, which was three or four inches square. The article describes a scene of mystery meat stuck to fences and scattered around the ground, and then concludes with this stinger. Two gentlemen who tasted the meat expressed the opinion that it was either mutton or venison. You heard that, right? They ate it. We'll get back to the people who ate the meat in a moment. Because they were not alone, which is super, super gross. But first, let's reiterate the main point here. Meat fell from the sky. I can't say that enough. The meat covered the same amount of space as a football field today and left everyone perplexed. Never before in history had such a thing happened. Or at least, never had people seen it happen before, I guess. It's like that old saying, if meat falls from the sky and no one's around to eat it, did it actually fall? That's how that goes, right? As we've said, the New York Times covered it, but they weren't alone. The crazy story appeared in newspapers, journals, and magazines across the country, and some even dispatched reporters to travel to the out-of-the-way Crouch Farm for interviews and observations. People wanted answers about how meat could just fall from the sky. Samples of the sky meat were packed up in jars and sent to labs in the hopes that scientists could come up with an explanation for the mystery. But in the 1870s, Science just wasn't advanced enough to answer such an important question with certainty. But that didn't stop people from coming up with some incredible ideas. One scientist believed that it was not meat at all, but a bacteria known as Nostoc. This is also referred to as star jelly or witch's butter. It's an unnoticeable flaky material which can absorb rain and expand into a gelatinous blubbery material if it rains. 
but there were no reports of any rain on March 3rd. Another person speculated that it was meat, horse meat, and that a recently deceased horse had exploded. Perhaps they had considered the thing that happens to beached whales after the decomposing gases build up in the carcass. It's been known to happen. In fact, we'd recommend checking out our hot dog episode if you want a really fun decomposing whale story. But that's one thing. Exploding horses are pretty unusual. It's possible one poor horse may have exploded, but no one reported missing any equine, so we are not convinced. Other people said it wasn't a natural occurrence at all, but instead a practical joke that someone was playing, either the couches themselves or someone else who wanted to get their goose, as they say. As is the case with most unusual occurrences, some people believe that it was supernatural. But if you ask us, the most likely scenario is that the meat did in fact fall from above, but rather than being roused by the winds, or falling from the heavens, or rained from the clouds, it vaulted from the mouths of vultures. And we're not alone in thinking this. There were people in the area at the time who believed that this was the explanation too. You see, vultures, by their nature, are a very social bird, which is pretty unusual for a bird of their size. You also might know that vultures feed on carrion, which is a fancy way of saying that they love to eat the decaying flesh of dead animals. Which sounds pretty gross, but when you consider where this is going, there's plenty of room to get grosser. Vultures, see, they aren't predators, they are scavengers, with an incredible sense of smell. And when the sweet, sweet smell of rotten flesh leads them to carrion, the birds <laughs> feast in a large group called a wake. Then, the wake of vultures might sit around for a while and let the rotten meat digest. And if that's the case, the group of stationary, non-eating vultures is called a committee of vultures. Interestingly, the name for their group changes with the activity that they are doing. When the vultures fly, they cease to be awake, and they cease to be a committee, and they become a kettle of vultures. Which finally gets us to the other possible explanation for the meat shower of 1876. A wake of vultures had eaten, and rather than sit and digest as a committee, the group, for some reason, found it necessary to fly. With the kettle high in the sky, one of those airborne vultures might have found it necessary to lighten his load, if you know what I mean. It's a peculiar defense mechanism the birds have, but it is not uncommon for such an occurrence to start a chain reaction. Another way to say it is that if one of these airborne birds barfs, they all barf. And perhaps on this day in 1876, a huge kettle of vultures all stuffed with food simultaneously barfed somewhere above the Crouch farm, right onto poor Mrs. Crouch. But we're not sure. Another scientist tested the meat and said that it was something a little more human. Let's hope not. Another newspaper, the New York Herald, went so far as to send a reporter to the area, not just to see the meat rain for himself, but also to talk to a few people in town. Benjamin F. Ellington, an old trapper who had eaten his fair share of meats while working in the wilderness out west, tasted it, and he had no doubt about what it was. Gentlemen, I've fit bears and other varmints in this range of mountains for over 30 years, and when a bear crosses my path in the timber, one of our skins has got to come off before the dispute is ended. 
I've seen some of this meat that's fallen on old man Crouch's farm. Then if it's meat at all, it's bar meat. Now, I've scunned more bears and chawed more of that kind of meat than any other man in this part of the United States. Gentlemen, it's bar meat, or else my name is not Benjamin Franklin Ellington. But was Mr. Ellington right? Oh, he was worse than right. He was wrong. Or rather, maybe right and maybe wrong, which is kind of worse. You see, in the 143 years that have rolled by since the March 3, 1876 event, no one has figured out what happened. It's a mystery that people have wondered about for decades. All of the specimens have disappeared, being lost to time. One piece, however, lives in a jar in Lexington, Kentucky, at Transylvania University, not far from the world's largest hairball. We've learned that the meat recently traveled to Europe for some state-of-the-art gene sequencing in hopes that it could finally be identified. We have not heard the results of this study, and personally, I hope we never figure it out. A mystery is where the fun is. Science can explain pretty much anything today, but back in 1876, this just wasn't the case, so people wondered. And 143 years later, we can still wonder today. It's good to wonder. Thank you all for listening to The Meat Shower Part 2. Thank you so much to our guest, Frank Reiser. Uh, it was a joy to spend time with him. And uh, I know we both agreed that we'll probably cross paths again because there are not many people this deep in the meat shower story. So um, thanks again, Frank. Uh, hope you all enjoyed that interview and, and uh, the story that we built around it. If you're listening to this before... 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, March 3rd, 2024, the 148th anniversary of the Kentucky Meat Shower. I will be doing a live reading on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. There's a YouTube live link, uh, and that link is on the website. So hope you can join us for that. Hope to see you there virtually. Or if you're in the Louisville area, you can uh, come to Foxing Books at that same time, because that's where the live feed, the live reading will be taking place. So if you want to come just hang out in person, uh, please do. Or, you know, just visit Boxing Books whenever. It's a good friend of mine, Kelly, and she's great. So um, I think that's everything. I'll be back with you in March. Oh, yeah. And Boston. If uh, if you're in the Boston area, go ahead and maybe make some plans for um, being at the podcast festival on Saturday, April 20th. I think I'm going in at the noon slot. There's some great shows all day long. So I really, really am looking forward to it. And I hope to see you there. Thank you all very much. Oh, the tickets go on sale on March 7th for that, by the way. My name is Mick Sullivan. This has been The Past and the Curious. Thank you all very much. Happy Meat Shower Day, everyone. Hi, friends. Are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So, Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.